Our first reading comes from uh, Matthew chapter 21, reading verses 1 through 11. Matthew 21, verses 1 to 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with a colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfil what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Well, friends, if you could turn with me again to the book of Matthew, I'm going to be reading on from our passage before. So that will be Matthew chapter 21 and starting in verse 12. And I'm going to be reading through to verse 17. So that's Matthew chapter 21 and starting at verse 12. Let's hear from God's word. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, And the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they are indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him? Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. Well, friends, as we take a closer look at God's word, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have spoken and we pray now that you would speak to us clearly through your word, by your spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, friends, as we come to our passage this morning, there's every chance some of you are having a bit of nostalgia, a bit of a time warp as your mind races back to when you are a kid And you and the rest of your Sunday school class, dressed up in drab clothes, were given palm fronds or something else from the minister's garden and then acted out Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. But as you waved your fronds around and laid them down, chances are you didn't have much of a clue about what exactly this scene was all about. 
All you knew was that this was a time when you were allowed to be loud, encouraged to make some noise in the place where you were normally encouraged to be a bit more under control. Now, the people back in Bible times might have understood why you would make a path out of plants for Jesus, but you were just having some fun. But if you assume that, if you thought the people back then understood a whole lot better what was going on than a bunch of Sunday school kids, well, Matthew tells us an eye-opening little story right before the palm fronds come out. Cast your eyes back to chapter 20 and verse 29 and have a look there. Matthew reports, As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. So as Jesus travels to Jerusalem, he has to pass through this big town. But as he passes through, word spreads quickly, Jesus is heading for Jerusalem for a showdown. And so not surprisingly, as he leaves Jericho, a good portion of the town goes with him. And as the hype builds and the numbers swell, Matthew reports one final incident before Jesus calls for that donkey. Verse 30. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted all the louder. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. And Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received sight and followed him. So friends, here we have what looks like a stock standard healing miracle, or standard for Jesus, that is. So no big deal, they can now see and so join the crowd. Let's keep going. But before we do, if we switch our focus from the two men to the crowd for a second, we notice Matthew is telling us something very clear about their eyesight as well. Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Hey, God is busy. God's king is busy. He hasn't time to waste on good-for-nothing peasants like you. Button up. But no, the king does have time, doesn't he? And as he takes the time to heal their eyes, well, Matthew gives us time, a little moment to diagnose the crowd's vision, their ability to see and understand Jesus. The result Well, let's just say the two blind men are able to see Jesus better than the rest. And friends, with that knowledge under our belts, Matthew now puts us right in the middle of this crowd. But with all the visual aids necessary to see Jesus and see him correctly. And so with the the glasses Matthew gives us, let's walk on. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, 
and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. Have you ever had a moment when you think you know a section of scripture? You know it like the back of your hand, but then one day you read it and go, hang on, how could I have possibly missed that? Well, friends, for me and maybe for you this morning, this is one of those passages. Verse 2 again, in case you missed it. Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them. And so we see Jesus told the disciples to go and get not one donkey, but two, a mother and her foal. And Matthew reports down in verse 7 that two disciples do exactly that. Okay, so next question, which one is Jesus going to ride? Or well, reading on, Matthew says, they brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. Okay, this is starting to get stranger by the second. Does Matthew really want us to believe Jesus somehow rode the donkey and its foal at the same time? And no wonder the crowd were in raptures because that's quite the feat. But no, when Matthew says he sat on them, he's not talking about the animals, but the cloaks the disciples put down as a makeshift saddle. Okay, great, but that doesn't answer the question. Which of the two donkeys did Jesus choose to ride on? The big one or the little one? Well, friends, this is where Mark, Luke and John come in handy because they all tell us very clearly, Jesus sat on the little one, the colt that had never been ridden. So there you have it. Matthew wants us to be clear, Jesus rode to Jerusalem on a small male donkey with its mother right there alongside watching on. And friends, Matthew also wants us to know this amazing, unusual and humble sight was foretold by a prophet, the prophet Zechariah, centuries before. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a donkey. If you're taking notes, jot down Zechariah 9, verse 9. So friends, the first person to see this strange sight was Zechariah. And not only does God tell him it will be Israel's king who will do this, but he also tells Zechariah why the king will do it. Listen as the prophet continues in verse 10. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem. In other words, this sole rider on his little baby donkey is going to face and take on an entire legion of battle-trained war horses. Jesus on his little colt is going to ride straight into the teeth of an entire legion who are chomping at the bit to take him out. 
So how will this massively one-sided conflict go? Reading on. The battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Friends, what an incredible prophecy this is. Jesus riding into Jerusalem in this manner signifies he is coming to wage war. A war where he will be outnumbered and outgunned in every conceivable way. But when the dust settles, he will stand victorious, says Zechariah. And his great victory will bring peace. Peace not just for Israel, but all nations. For he will rule the entire world from sea to sea. And so, friends, when Jesus hops on that little cult, the Jewish crowd with Zechariah's prophecy in mind go into raptures. They see so clearly what this must mean. But at the very same time, they don't see it at all. For as Matthew told us last week, chapter 20, verse 19, Jesus will be victorious, but over a different enemy, a different foe than the, than, than the one that the crowd has in mind. Nevertheless, Jesus riding on the colt signifies release, promises redemption. Your freedom is coming. And so a great and thunderous roar goes up. And scriptures of recognition begin to be sung out. Verse 9, have a look. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Friends, as I read these shouts of praise, a song of praise a little closer to home came to mind. And the chorus of that song goes like this. Hosanna, Hosanna to the lamb that was slain. Hosanna, Hosanna. Jesus died and rose again. But as much as I love that song, until this week, until I hit Matthew 21 and verse 9 and did some digging around, apart from knowing that Hosanna meant something really, really good, I had no idea what it actually meant. And just in case you're in the same boat as me, here it is. Hosanna is a melding of two Hebrew words, yasha, which means to bring salvation, and anna, which means I cry. And so put together, Hosanna is a cry for salvation. But over the centuries, Hosanna morphed from a plea for salvation to a shout of praise to the one who delivers on that cry. And so Hosanna became a great declaration of praise to Israel's God, to him who hears the cries of his people and acts on their cries in the most surprising, powerful and miraculous ways. And now we have Jesus on the outskirts of Jerusalem, riding on a colt. An unmistakable sign that God's king is heading there with one thing on his mind. 
And so the great cry of Hosanna goes up. And as they sing it out, over in Luke's account, the Pharisees, horrified, demand Jesus rebuke the crowd for this blasphemy. And how's his response? If they stop singing, the rocks will cry out. For the world's saviour, the world's Hosanna has arrived. And Jesus on the colt is the tell. That's the big reveal. As such, this is not a moment for silence, but exclamation, exultation. You muzzle the the crowd and the rocks are going to take over. For the entire cursed creation has been waiting. It's been groaning. It's been yearning for its release. And right now, it is at hand. And so the king rides into Jerusalem. The buzz of the crowd following him, stirring up the entire city. Verse 10. And so another crowd, an official crowd, go and meet them. And they ask them, who is this? Now please identify who you are identifying with. And and so comes their response. This is the son of David, Israel's true and rightful king. Bow the knee or be lost. Hosanna in the highest. Actually, no, verse 11. Have a look at it. This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, friends, I think you'd agree that's a pretty significant downgrade. That's a very significant switching gears down. Uh, this is Jesus. You know, you know the prophet guy who uh, comes from that little backwater town in Nazareth? Now, friends, as you read this, you can almost see them all slowly backing away, backing out. Indeed, in all four Gospels, it's like they disappear into thin air. The crowd's eyesight is finally put to the test. The simple question, who is this? And their answer says it all. And so the party winds up and the crowd melts away. But Jesus doesn't melt. Crowd, no crowd. As Zechariah says, the one riding on a donkey has come to take ownership of Jerusalem. And so he heads to the city's heart and does exactly that. Verse 12. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. And so Jesus clears out the temple, clears it as only an owner would, with zeal and righteous anger. Over in John's gospel, he reports Jesus drove them out with a whip made out of cords. And once all cleared out, Jesus now has control of the most important piece of real estate in the most important city in the entire world. So what's he going to do now, now that he has control? Verse 14. 
The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. So Jesus switches the scene from having to buy your healing, barter for the right to enter the sacred walls to be cleansed, to offer it all for free. Free and complete cleansing inside and out. And so another crowd begins to form. And as the blind see and the lame walk, it's not long before that great cry of recognition goes up again. Verse 15, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. But friends, this chorus of praise sounds different, very different than before. Because through fear of the religious leaders who have all come running, the people are silent. Their mouths are zipped. So if they are not singing, who is it? Have the rocks finally taken over? Well, no, the song is coming from the ones who are too young to be afraid. As they watch Jesus do his thing, the children fill the void and they all begin shouting and singing, Hosanna to the Son of David. What a scene this must have been. All the adults, silent, lest they get their names written in the Pharisees' little black book. And so the kids take over, singing and proclaiming, Jesus is Israel's Hosanna. And as they sing, getting louder and louder, furious and indignant, the Pharisees jump in, furious and indignant that the children there were exegeting this moment for the adults. And so they demand Jesus put a stop to it. Verse 16, do you not hear what these children are saying, they asked him? Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? Now, friends, when Jesus said that, when he quoted that scripture back at them, you can absolutely guarantee every single religious leader there would have been rocked, mouths open, stunned. Because Jesus is quoting the start of Psalm 8 at them. And listen to what it says. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Who is this one who has taken over the temple? Well, you should know. But because you refuse, because you have set yourselves up against him, you're going to hear it from the mouths of babes, Psalm 8 style taught, rebuked and silenced by little ones who see what your haughty eyes refuse to see. What a moment this must have been. 
as, Je- as Jesus, the children, and Psalm, uh, Psalm 8 stared down and stunned the entire religious set into complete silence. And as they try and gather themselves, as the children continue to dance and sing around Jesus, Matthew tells us he leaves. Leaves them to chew on a scripture that guarantees, unless they likewise see and recognize him like those little children, they will be destroyed. Now, you know, friends, it's interesting. I started this sermon this morning talking about children. Us kids making a whole lot of noise for Jesus, shouting Hosanna. And it turns out the actual story ends with a bunch of children doing exactly that. So maybe I was a bit too quick to judge, a bit too hasty to dismiss our young understanding. Now sure we didn't get all the theological intricacies, but but chances are we got the gist and we got it clearly. Because the Bible, Jesus says a lot about children and their capability to see and understand, doesn't he? Indeed, he says to us grown-ups, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And friends, nowhere do we see a greater illustration of this than right here at the temple. It's the little children, says Matthew, who get it, who see and recognize him, while those with doctorates in theology don't. And so they lifted their hearts and voices to him. And they couldn't have cared less what the big, important adults with their weird religious clothes thought. If they can't see him, that's their problem. The question is, is their problem ours? As we follow along in the crowd and watch as Jesus rides into town on that little colt, as he takes ownership of the temple and freely and lovingly heals, do we see him like the adults in this account or the children? From the lips of infants you have ordained praise. What about us? When it comes to our heart response to Jesus, do we join in their Hosanna chorus? Or are we too grown up for that? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you um, so much for this inspired account. Uh, We thank you at the way that you inspired Matthew to tell the story, to show to us clearly how the crowd and and how the, the religious leaders missed Jesus completely and how the little children saw him and sang his name, Hosanna. 
Heavenly Father, we want to to be a people who don't just see that and get that with our minds this morning, but also with our hearts. Father, we recognize that um, the more that we walk with you, uh, sometimes, yeah, you can feel a long way away and that we feel like we're going just through the religious motions. And so, Father, we pray that you would speak to us, especially this morning, through this wonderful passage. Help us to be, have hearts, innocent hearts, that know who you are and trust in you like children. And we pray this in his precious name and for his glory. Amen.